Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about how people fully break free from the addiction and recovery trap. We, along with our colleague Stephen Slate, wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction. We offer a real solution that's individual-centered. There are two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes. The first way is at our beautiful private St. Jude Retreat or through at-home Freedom Model private instruction, which we do via video conference. We usually use Zoom. You can get information about these options at thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net or by calling 1-888-424-2626. We have a funny topic today. There's going to be a little swearing involved. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to warn you that we might drop some F-bombs considering it's in the title. Um, I wonder how many people in our audience were... The family fuck-up. <laughs> so, so I... In my family, there's there's uh, twelve siblings and then a bunch of step brothers and stepsisters, and um, there's sort of two generations because the family is so big. There's the first eight kids, and then what we call the four little kids. And I was sort of the the family fuck up of the four little kids. And my brother Pete, he'd be proud that I'm saying this. <laughs> he would. He, be. He, he was the family fuck up. I'm the first eight. So we, <laughs> needless to say, me and Pete got along great. We always did, even though there's 12 years between us. He was he was the big brother I got along with the best because our personalities matched. Um, and I think what in in my family it was uh, it was because uh, me and Pete didn't listen. We just didn't listen. We we did our own thing and and we were nonconformists and we just didn't give a shit. Um, and it got us into lots of trouble. But but uh, so Michelle, were you the family fuck up? I was. And you know what's interesting is people try to try to say that birth order matters. But I was the oldest in my family and you were the youngest. Yeah. And and we both were. And you know, another term for this, it, when you are the family fuck up because you're the nonconformist, because you question everything, the truth was I wasn't a bad kid. I had a kind of a wild streak I had a little bit of a temper um but but I was a people pleaser I did try to uh, you know even as a young kid try to please people but I just never things that I did I just seemed to do shit wrong <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah I did too and um my intentions I was I grew up in a in an atmosphere where very little parent to child learning occurred because we didn't have parents so um well they had parents they were just very busy parents yeah they were too busy i think growing up in the 80s that was a lot of us i think so too i think you were just in my case i lived in a separate building than my father and my mother was gone and i had a stepmother that just didn't like us that much um and it was just such a estranged relationship right. but what was really difficult in my set of circumstances personally it was a little unique was they would say that i was a bad kid a yeah. lot, you know, and it, and it really hurt. And I can remember thinking, I don't want to be a bad kid. Yep. And and I was desperate for love, and I was desperate to be accepted in my family. And in some cases, I was with some of the brothers sisters. We we hung out together and stuff. But but uh, but I just I had to eventually just push the envelope. You know, I, <laughs> if I was confronted with a situation that made me uncomfortable, instead of maybe problem solving in some productive way I would just hit it head on and cause trouble yeah I, that was my experience too it, it just 
it just seemed like I I was also told that that I was lazy and ungrateful and um, you know, much worse things. I was called much worse things. And in my home situation was a little bit different. I mean, my my dad was, it was feast or famine with my dad. You know, first he was a heavy drinker and very abusive. And then he got sober in AA, folks. You know, so that, that you, you would have thought things would have been really hunky-dory after that. And no, they just got more unpredictable. Um, he either wasn't around at all or when he was around, he was hypercritical and miserable and um, just yeah, still violent. And so, and my mom just was trying to, work and pay the bills and get along yeah just be quiet and just stay out of the way and so it was a just a really strange so I ended up kind of taking on almost a parental role for my younger siblings because that was expected of me number one and if they ever did anything where they where where it was bad I got punished for it because I should have been watching them and so I kind of took on that role and it just I was the family scapegoat a lot of times when you're the family fuck up, you're also the family scapegoat. And Yeah, because you're placed in a position constantly to to be judged and boy it's a it's a tough, tough place to be. Now we're not talking about this today because because there's a causal relationship between this and substance use. We're talking about it because so many people with substance use problems have similar backgrounds and it is a reason. Yeah. You know, it for me that drinking when I finally we weren't allowed to drink. There was no alcohol in our home, so I would sneak it. I would sp- spend weekends at my friend's house so I could be drunk all weekend when I was in high school. And then and then I went away to college and forget about it. I was on my own and that was my that was my time to just not be the fuck up, believe it or not. I mean, it was my time to feel good and party, and it was a lot of fun for a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there. So a little discussion here on causes versus reasons. If you if you haven't read our book or if you haven't um, listened to some of the podcasts, uh, people believe that if you have a bad upbringing, that you'll be caused to use drugs and alcohol, and it's a it's a driver of addiction. And the statistics don't show that. No. Nope. So lots of people have bad lives. I certainly had a bad life. I can say that as a as a general statement. My upbringing was terrible at best, and I used it as a reason. So I wasn't caused to use drinking or caused to use drugs and and, and drink. Because look at if it was a cause, all twelve of your siblings, all eleven of your siblings would be would have the problem, right. and they didn't. That's exactly true. So. Um, now a lot of us did, but that's just because it was the norm in my it's family. Culture. Not, yeah, it was culture. Mm-hmm. It was well, AA was a part of our life, and being told you were an alcoholic from a young age was sort of indoctrinated. It was a right rite of us. passage. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> it's really terrible. Um, but but so let me get back to so you're not caused to use, but it might be a reason. It might be a personal reason that you believe that drives your addiction, right? So uh, so I did. I I honestly can remember. I had the narrative in my family that because my parents were divorced, because I grew up hard, because of the emotional problems in our family that I was destined to be a drunk or a drug addict. And I was told that since I was a little kid, since my mom left when when I was seven. So um, I just acted accordingly. And then 
And then I acted accordingly and coupled with my personality to sort of hit things head on when I would experience strife, when I would experience stress, I wouldn't back down. I would go at the object of my strife with with sort of a spasmodic aggression. Mm -hmm. And so I can remember my brother Paul looking at me and going, Jesus, Mark, you know, why don't you just shut your mouth? Hmm. Do you know, why don't you just back off and just let it go or, you know, whatever it might be. And and I just couldn't do that. I had decided no way. I'm not going to be the guy to just roll over. And it caused me tremendous pain and problems. Um, so I fulfilled the role of the family fuck up yeah. by doing this, you know. Yeah. Well, you, you, you're told these things for a long enough period of time and especially when you're young and impressionable and this is when your self-image is forming and so I formed a self-image of being um, this troubled person. Now I, I had weird quirky things growing up like I I would give the, have these little periods of obsessive compulsive behaviors and and so everybody everybody just thought oh she's weird you know and and i i really felt like i was an embarrassment um to my my parents whether or not that's true i mean my dad would tell me that i was my mom never did though um but that was the other part of being you know being the family fuck up was that i was just i was just odd and, and, you know, my mother, my mother would say things like, nobody's going to like you if you behave this way. And, um, my father would say, you know, no man is ever going to choose you because of these things. And, and so you grow up hearing this stuff and thinking it and it becomes your self image. Yeah. Yeah. I had so little parenting that I would, I would do odd things that were very thoughtless. Like I would show up at my brother's place with his new wife and I would just walk in and go into the refrigerator and just start eating their food because, <laughs> because it didn't even occur because I lived like an animal at home literally like like an animal there was it was bizarre and and I can remember her his his wife getting very upset with me and I'm like what what is the problem here you know so I had this weird reputation I was a weird kid too I was socially inept um but again I would hit that head on and make an ass of myself I I, I tell people I, I wasn't in sports, but I sported more black eyes in high school than you can count. You know, <laughs> I was always in conflict. And I, you know, that is just, so when I would drink mm -hmm. in a certain way, I felt like there was a sense of relief of myself. Yes. And I could just leave for a little while. And that illusion was a powerful myth that I kept alive that fueled my drinking in a massive, massive way. And it was hugely problematic because we all know, based on our other podcasts and the information, that alcohol can't do that. It can't medicinally fix mental issues. But I believed in it so much. It was my religion. Yeah. And so I was this really a, a tortured kid, desperately looking for, to fit somewhere with a family that was annoyed by me uh, like crazy. Now, I'm not going to say that some of my brothers and sisters didn't love me. They did. But we were just ill-equipped as a family because of our, the lack of parenting. And it was just a rough, rough go. And, uh, and I just, and a lot of us were all drinking together and carrying on and it just wasn't a healthy, healthy situation. So if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, my God, some of this sounds familiar, uh, you're in good company. You know, and you get past these things. I did. Michelle did. You sort of figure it out. And one of the things that's important is you have to let go of this idea that your bad past 
the pain of the past, the trauma of the past is driving any behavior today. You have to let it go. There's, there's no other answer for that sort of thing is to just put enough time and space between you and those events. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk a little bit. Mark said something um, a little while ago that is important. And, um, you know, we get a lot of people that, that find the freedom model and they're leaving AA. And I, I just had a, a quick little online conversation with somebody who who was in it 20 years and is a counselor and is just blown away by, you know, he knew something was wrong and and don't beat yourself up for for buying in because one of the reasons that I bought in as much as I did, not just because I grew up in it, but what Mark said was true is because I wanted to find a place to belong. And so I went away to college and I belonged, I felt like I was accepted and belonged with the partiers. And, and so, and I felt like I could be somebody different. And for the first time I felt like I wasn't, I actually felt like I wasn't bad. Like I was fun and that people wanted to be around me. And then that lasted for a couple years. And, um, even, even when I would overdo it, I still was having a lot of fun and I still felt like it did those things for me. Um, in the last couple of years of, you know, the last probably year and a half, my drinking, it wasn't fun and it was more like a job and I felt like a terrible person at that point. So then when I went to AA, once again, I felt like I belonged somewhere and okay, these people understand me and maybe I'm not a terrible person again, you know? So, so that's, that's the way cults are set up. That's a good, that's a really, really, really good point. I I wasn't thinking about that of how, how my home life, I didn't fit very well and I was very lonely there. Um, and then, and then you, you find your place with these partiers and I found in my situation, because I was such a small kid, I was the smallest kid in my grade all the time, um, that I could drink so much. Mm-hmm. I was really good at it. Yeah, it, it impresses people. Yeah, and in the culture I came from, which is the country culture, sort of mm-hmm. redneck place, uh, that was that was kind of cool, right? I could hold my own. I didn't puke. I didn't, you know, carry on. Um, and uh, so it, it, it worked well for me. So I fit in. And I had a place in the world where where I wasn't made fun of, you know, yeah. or picked on or having to defend myself or defend my poor behavior. And the other thing was when I was drinking, poor behavior is seen as funny. Yep. You know, so I could act like a jackass and, and get away with a lot of a lot of things. So um, the license to misbehave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, eventually that runs out because people grow past that and you're still acting like a, an idiot. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't it just doesn't work anymore. So um, I had to grow up. I had to grow up, you know, is what it was. I had to grow out of this whole idea that booze and drugs were my solution. Yeah, that they that somehow they could help me to fit in somewhere, or they could, you know, help me to to not feel like such such a piece of shit. Yeah, you know that. I mean, I think that 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 was what we both were seeking was this freedom. You know, ultimately, I think a lot of people, especially even people that are you know our age or older now, and they've gone in and out, and they've had these binge cycles, and and what you're what you're you're want to seek that initial freedom you felt when you were young, 
You know, when if life was a shit show, you had maybe you didn't have a horrible childhood, but but maybe maybe you were picked on in school or um, or whatever it was that you were trying to get freedom from. Yeah, here's the irony of that, and that's a great point too. And that is, so you you start partying for freedom and you find it right because there's sort of a mystical experience when you're younger. Oh yeah, and, for sure. And or or let's say you start drinking in your 40s in a midlife crisis, for example, same kind of stressful situation, and then you start drinking to escape or whatever it might be. And for a little while, it seems to work because well, it's a new experience, it's a hmm. new state of mind, right? And then and then. Here's what's so crazy. You're seeking freedom from your life, from the life struggle uh, that we all have, by the way, um, from one degree to another. And then and then you feel the same bondage with drinking that you felt with your own miserable life and your own struggles emotionally. Yes. And, and so now the very same problems continue to plague you on your binges because uh, the drugs and the alcohol can't problem solve mental issues so you're using the wrong tool to take care of maybe trauma that happened 30 years ago 40 years ago in some cases you know that you're still hanging on to and trying to bury so it might there's better strategies and believe it or not the only answer to trauma is to say it feel it once or twice and then say there's nothing i can do about that and i need to move on now there is some point of catharsis where you may have to say it to somebody privately and say you know i went through all this shit i had to do it you know mm -hmm. i had to sort through it and then but once it's sorted once you've said it there's really no answer there because you're reliving it so then you have to just get on with life and be like i'm a better person and I did the best I knew how considering the shitty circumstances I found myself in, you know, and, uh, and you have to forgive yourself. Yeah. And I did. I finally forgave myself one day. I said, you know what? I was a very neglected, abused kid and I did the best I could. And yeah, I was told that I was the family fuck up, but you know what? That's just because everybody else was just trying to figure their way around things and, and they needed somebody to pile on to feel better about themselves. And so right. shit rolled downhill in my family. I was the youngest, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the opposite for me. Um, what, I, what I do, I have a little, I don't know, mental trick or something. I'm visual. I'm a visual person. And so, so in order for me to, to move on, a lot of people will come to me and be like, I got I to gotta get over my trauma from childhood or, or, or trauma that I experienced as an adult. And, and, and I'll say, well, well, how do you know when that happens? How do you know when you're over it? And, um, and nobody knows that answer to that question. I've asked psychologists and psychiatrists this and they can't give me an answer, which is a problem, which is a problem. And for me, um, how I know is, is when I've put it in its rightful place, which is in my past. And so I imagine mm, I've got these, I've got these, um, file cabinets in my brain or in my mind I've got these file cabinets and and so yes I've I'll talk to somebody about something that happens and then I'll file it away where it goes now for a while in my life I was very organized secretary so I'm really good at filing <laughs> but but I file it it's not gone it's still there but it can't hurt me it's right. in the drawer yeah that's 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 really important I and I built a discipline to once I had spent some time discussing it with somebody that that was close to me and and cared for me and and said wow that that kind of stuff is really fucked up mark you know i i get why you struggled you know 
Um, but my intention of discussing it with this person wasn't for self-pity and it wasn't to continue right. to relive it. And I know, that might sound mean when I'm saying it, but there was a time in my life where there was a certain pride in my misery. Yes. There was a certain ownership of it where I felt justified in my heavy substance use. I felt justified in my anger. I felt justified in my self-destruction. I felt self, you know, all, all the self-pity was deep with me, you know, and the depression. So I had to stop doing that. I had to discipline myself to say there's no good answer in that kind of attitude there just isn't i have to move on i want to be successful and i can't when i'm thinking that i'm a piece of shit and or that the people around me that failed me my parents and that sort of thing um what am i going to do L live with thinking about that every day i mean come on it's time to move on and uh and so I disciplined myself. I, like Goggin says, you know, you callous your mind. You say, well, all these things happened. They did. Mm -hmm. And like you just said, you know, you, you they're part of your memories. They're part of your story, but they're not the whole story. God, no. Jesus. I mean, I, I had to move on and, and you can too. That's the point that I want to make. I lived a pretty hellish childhood and I know Michelle did too. And I know Steven did, you know, uh, we all had our struggles, um, like so many people do and and mark said something earlier that that I, I wanted to add to and that is there is if you're there is a there are some benefits to wallowing in self-pity and and you know i remember staying there and make a conscious choice mm -hmm. to stay there yep. because it's a place to hide yeah, it's a distraction from moving forward and being a productive, working human being. It gives you the excuse to skate. Yeah. It gives you a, a ready-made excuse as to why you're not going to perform like the rest of the winners in the world. I was a loser for a long time. I didn't I look back at my struggles as a as a young man. I didn't play sports. I wasn't involved with people the way I should have. I wanted to be but I didn't have the balls to do it. I just didn't have the self-confidence. I didn't have the balls. I didn't have the guts. And, and I used this awful childhood as a way to skate and, yeah. and avoid it and just be antisocial and pissed off with a chip on my shoulder. And it was terrible. It was lonely and it was unfortunate. You know, now luckily I got, I figured all this out young enough that in my twenties and thirties, I rebuilt myself completely and kind of, did the things I always wanted to do, you know? Yep, me too. And and that's where my confidence came from. And that's where I also forgave myself for being yeah. a kid that didn't know any better. Yeah, the, the good thing about um, people like us that are the nonconformists of the world and who end up kind of being the family fuck-ups and, you know, is we get pretty dissatisfied pretty quickly um, when when things aren't going our way. So So that's that's a that's a not a bad thing that's a benefit you know if i was not a good you know i i was a good student and then i wasn't i didn't really invest in things that didn't interest me that much but the things that interested me i would go all in you know and um and it was it's that's the way i am in life in general Yep. is um if i if i'm disinterested in something i'm going to abandon it i'm probably not going to um, not going to invest in it anymore, but but when I really am interested in something, I go all in, and I'm willing to go to the mat for it, just like we've done here. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah, I was I was an all or nothing sort of character for a long time, and I had to learn. I I can't yeah. overemphasize enough forgiving yourself and being easy on yourself and saying. I did the best I could yes. with the information I had. I know I've said that like three times, but man, is that, it is powerful when you can finally say, you know what, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to not hate myself and hate the world. I was a kid with a chip on my shoulder, man. I mean, it caused me a lot of problems. Me too. And it destroyed so many relationships, I can't even tell you. Um, and then one day I was just like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just yeah. not, I'm gonna be a happy person and I have to let go of the pain of the past. And, uh, and you know, when you yeah. do that, you realize that there are so many people that are unhappy. Um, you know, I, I genuinely thought when I let go of a lot of things that, and I was just, I just was kind as, a, as you know, I just trained myself to be kind as a, just a general rule in my life, um, that, that you think that things will be easier and they are, they are, but maybe not in your relationships that knew you before. Yeah. You know, like I had to understand that I had changed, but nobody else had. And and it's okay. It's okay. I didn't have to hate them. I don't have to be resentful. It, you know, there's just some people that are going to like me and some people that aren't. And it's fr- quite frankly, none of my business. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great point too, that, that, um, there are relationships in my life that ended and cooled off and people come in your life, they leave the, your life. And yeah. Most of my relationships have left my life. That's Me the too. truth. I, I'm not friends with many people, but the people I I make friendships with, I find that the more I respect my myself, the more I forgave myself, and the more I concentrated on being a good human being for the sake of just me being happy, um, the more I find people like that. I'm, I'm involved with a, a group of hunters in Maine and, and the parts of the Northeast, and they're some of the nicest people you would ever meet. And yeah. I can guarantee you that when I was a self-hating, self-pitying, depressed kid, I wouldn't even have fit in with any of those people. They'd be like, what is wrong with that dude? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So I had some work to do on myself before I would find the people that that could enjoy who I, I was becoming. And uh, so so trust me, when you fix yourself and you figure out what it is that you love – yeah, maybe some bad relationships. You don't even realize they're bad, but maybe unhealthy relationships will leave you. Yes. They will self-destruct. They will fall apart. And you need to move on and find new ones that more are akin with what you're trying to do with your life. And that's a, actually a wonderful process. A lot of times in families when they blow up and they break apart, it's good for the people. It's time yeah, to move on. What that says on. is it's just time to move on. Yeah, just because you were born into a family of origin – I mean, it took me a long time to understand uh, that that your siblings don't have to be your best friends or friends at all, um, and that your relationship with your parents is what it is. And um, and I I have no expectations of people to act any differently than they are. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful freedom because once you accept that about yourself, you can accept that about others. Yeah, and and you and you un, you intuitively know at that point that the way that they act and the way that they act towards me even have nothing to do with me. That's right. You know, and um, so I don't have to, I don't have to gauge my self-worth and my self-image based on how other people treat me anymore. Yep. Perfect. So I think that's a great way to end. It is. I hope that this has been helpful for everyone. And look, it. so if you're the family fuck up, it gets 
you can definitely change that self-image for sure. That's right. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or another habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites, thefreedommodel.org, leaveaddictionbehind.com, and soberforever.net. Um, you can get digital editions of our books, The Freedom Model for Addiction, Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family for free on our site. Uh, go to thefreedommodel.org, type in coupon code FREEDOM. 100 at checkout. Um, if you want paperback or Kindle or other e-reader versions, you can go to Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions, remember you can always call us at 1-888-424-2626. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. You can check out our Facebook groups. They are private. Um, and uh, they are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. There are some great leading AA and deprogramming from AA groups as well. Check those out. From everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time.